This is E4H Speaks, our in-house podcast featuring E4H team members who keep our firm elevated through talent, commitment, and passion for healthcare design. My name is Chris Nail, and I'll be your host. Today, we will talk to Kelly Bird, our Advisory Services Director from the Dallas office. So what's interesting is I'm kind of curious what made you decide to want to come to this side from where you were before. And maybe what you could do is talk a little bit about, you know, what you did at USPI. Yes. And then what kind of encouraged you to come join us. Well, I was the um, a project manager in the development department. And what that means is I um, started on a project as soon as we had a group of physicians um, interested in, in doing a project. And I, you know, started with getting a, a schematic design. I, you know, I'd call, you know, Thule or whatever architect I was working with at the time, and we'd start working on a schematic, and then we would get that approved by the, the owner group, and then we would move into equipment planning and further in design, construction drawings, and um, all the way through opening the facility, I was I stayed with the project until they were accredited and doing cases. How many projects were you managing at, you know, at any given time? I would usually manage between eight and 12 at a time in various stages. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some takeaways for architects for us to be sensitive about that role as a project manager on the owner side? You know, just communication, you know, I think communication and, and doing um, your proper uh, quality controls and you know reviewing the plans you know with the owner at the end making sure everybody understands exactly what's going to be delivered mm-hmm. so there's no surprises because I, th- I think a lot of times the end users they've not done it before and so they they can have surprises at the end and you know we'd like to prevent that and i would assume that the way you ran the meetings you you had a user usually at the meetings, it was yourself, and then the architects and the engineers, just like any OAC meeting. Yeah, the, the physician group, they're investors in the center, so we would, you know, have attend board meetings and, and give them a schematic, or, or David would do a big blow-up, an elevation of the building, and, um, you know, we do, like, room-by-room room renderings or whatever it took to get that group of people, and there are various levels of sophistication. Some people are able to conceptualize looking at a set of plans and some people can't just can't do it at all. So whatever you, you have to kind of adjust your learning tools. So did you develop specific tools that you used on every job with E4H? We did like standard interior design boards so that mm-hmm. we had like four to choose from and so that we weren't reinventing the wheel every time we did a project. Right. You know, it didn't mean that they had to go with every single item on the board. You could change something if they particularly said, I like this board, but I don't like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that made it easier. And then I had, um, we had work plans that we would work through all the different steps of getting the center equipped and set up and open and tested and all those things yeah well it's great i think you know your experience on that side the value that you can bring to us just being better at our jobs you know from your perspective I how can so. we be better yeah so you know i'm excited to get to work with you on some of these things yeah thank moving you forward i am too i am too so um what do they have you doing right now well i right now i'm looking at 
helping people either with helping them understand um, the design and the flow better or um, making, you know, clinical options, you know, making sure it flows right for nurses and physicians and that it's not just, you know, the FGI book put on paper, you know, some it's it, the proper flow and, you know, it really enhances the satisfaction of the nurses and the physicians and, and patients. You come from a healthcare background too, right? Aren't you a nurse? Yes. I have yeah. a bachelor's degree in nursing and an MBA in healthcare. All right. Surgery was always my um, area of expertise. I've worked in ho many hospitals, um, Baylor particularly. I worked in several areas of the operating room at Baylor. I was a three to eleven supervisor at Baylor, okay. so we got, got to see a lot of the all the nighttime evening activities that come rolling into the OR. And yeah, it was something. And then I did a, a build and startup at Zell Lipschey. Okay. And um, that was interesting being associated with a uh, medical school, you know, and those academic physicians, was, it was really a, a big change, but it was fun. Yeah. And, um, and cutting edge, you know, very interesting. They get, have robotics there? Back then, they didn't have robotics. Not yet. Not but yet. I, have, yeah. I have done several of robotics programs. Uh, the ones that I have really experienced have been the Da Vinci and, um, that the patients do so do so well they yeah. don't have the pain they heal quicker they get out faster um and there's a lot said to that you know a lot of times patients today will seek out physicians who do robotics and so you, you kind of have to make that investment if you want those patients so tell me a little about how you decided to get into nursing well when I was a child, I um, had a neighbor who was an orthopedic surgeon, and his wife, and um, she had been in some accident, and um, she was in a wheelchair, and we he used to take her for walks, and I would go over there and you know, help walk with him and take her on walks, and we'd talk, and um, he'd talk about health care, and and um, so we we talk about it a lot, and I always was just sort of in, in my mind that I wanted to do healthcare. And then he he would mention about he worked in the operating room, and and so I kind of put my sights on the operating room. And when I was by the time I was in high school, I pretty much decided I was uh, my target was to try to get be a nurse in the operating room. So that's what I went to Baylor, where I went into nursing school, and. Uh, when I rotated through the operating room, I just loved it and came right out, started working as a scrub tech while I was in nursing school. And then when I graduated nursing school, I went into an operating room internship program and learned all about circulating and taking care of patients in the operating room. That's so neat. So as a nurse, what are some things that you've noticed in spaces that you've worked in that maybe uh, we could do better from a design perspective? Well, one of the my biggest pet peeves is really the um, decontamination processing area and, and the storage areas. You know, those seem to be the areas that people pinch down first because don't make the ORs too small. And so they start finding other areas to pinch down, and typically they'll pinch down those decontaminated sterile processing and sterile storage, and and uh, so much goes on in those spaces, and um, they just 
don't work well when they're too small. You know, it's, and the fact that the, um, you know, the ambulatory surgery world now is getting much more intensive, bigger cases like total joints. And um, those sets are huge. And um, the, um, and there's lots of sets. There's like one case might have eight different sets. So if you bring that into a small little room and you have to process, wash them and get them through the processor and get them sterilized and all those things and you're all, you don't have the space. You know, you can hardly have the counter space just to sit them on the counter, you know? So, so when you say sets, just for us, you know, who don't know all the terms mm -hmm. that, so you're mean, these are like the packets that have all the instruments and <laughs> stuff ready for that case, right? Yeah, yes. Is there one cart per set or would you have multiple sets per cart? Multiple you... sets per cart. Right. You have your standard orthopedic sets, but then the salesman, depending on the type of, let's just say, knee that you're going to put in, he'll bring in their sets. And that could be another, you know, six sets that the salesman brings in that you have to sterile wash and sterilize prior to that procedure right and then that's all going to be stored somewhere right. yes. you know we got to keep stuff out of corridors and all that yep. but we've got so you, you got all these carts packed in there you're pushing all this stuff through and that's just one case that's and you, right you could have four or five cases going on in these ascs all at once that's right you know at the beginning of the day so i can see how that could get backed up pretty quick yes that's that's important information for us in design early on to understand right. that so you know what i hope the takeaway is for for, you know, whoever's listening to this is that, you know, these are questions that you can help train us in asking right early on. Right. Right. Absolutely. So those are, that's just great. Well, you can too, on a new, on a new center, you can, um, you can have like, if you put a, you put your statistics together with how many cases and how average sets per case, and you keep a log for a while. So you really understand what you're really processing mm -hmm. you can actually give that data to a company like steris yeah and they will run it through their program and they'll tell you what size sterilizer you need and and how what the throughput is and to do those sets you'll you can run them through and you'll be done in x number of hours and so it's, you can get that information that way too so that's another good process to look at i saw you you had mentioned that you got to work on the uh, the Texas Star yes. up in Frisco. Yes, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. But the Star was really neat because, it, you know, it was, um, besides the fact that it was going to serve for the Dallas Cowboys and the Jones family and whatnot, it was, um, orthopedics has always been my strength. And um, I've, I just really, it was, the state of the rooms were state of the art, you know, with the striker rooms. And um, it was, it's a beautiful facility, and um, I just I love working on that project. How do you see the future of healthcare? I think that what you're going to see in actual hospitals is going to be much more intensive and higher acuity. I think you're going to see a lot of um, um, uh, artificial intelligence. You know, people um, being able to dial in. And we'll probably eventually be wearing some kind of a wristband that communicates our, you know, our blood pressure and all those things to our physician. Maybe it may even come to a point where we don't even go into physicians' offices for physicals anymore. Some I think it's going to go into more health and wellness. I was just reading an article um, about how they're going to start, um, physicians are going to start really working with um, genetic counselors 
because they're going to be able to do a blood test that's going to tell your physician everything that you're predisposed to. Like, so if you like say they'll be able to know if you have a predisposition to diabetes, and then they're going to be able to focus their treatment to prevent your diabetes much more intensely rather than waiting until it's already occurred. So it's going to be more into just prevention. This urgent care rollout that we're doing with Carbon Health, you know, mm -hmm. the, the San Francisco group, they're very interested in that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like all their uh, initial discussions with patients are all done through mobile app video video chat with the physician. Yes. Yeah. And you basically get a lot of your questions answered before you even show up. Yeah, the telemedicine. There, right? Yes. And then um, they basically give you a cost breakdown before you even show up and you you log in when you get there your name pops up on a board and you go to the back so that's just like right now but you start throwing this artificial intelligence thing that's pretty incredible and i mean you already see it on our watches and on our phones with the health kit stuff right, right so right. everything ties together and i think you're going to see a lot more emphasis on mental health right i agree with that so what are what are some of the things you like to do outside the office well, when I'm not at the office, I love, I like, I have a dog. I, I walk her a lot. I like to ride my bike. I ride it a lot on the weekends. Um, I also like to travel. Well, great. Now that you're at E4H, you know, what sort of services are we looping you in to help? I'm advisory services. So I can do the um, operational advisory portion of it where I can help the client from design all the way through the steps of actually getting that facility open and timing of fixed equipment, movable equipment, IT to everything biomed checked and in and ready to do those first patients. So I could see this being useful if you've got a couple of physicians or, or surgeons that want to leave whatever umbrella they're under and want to open their own ASC. Right. You know, they could hire you to help operationally, what staff do I need? How big of a space do I need? These are the types of procedures we want to do in this facility. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what equipment do we need? Can you put together a budget for us? And all this stuff so you can all start right. putting all that together. Exactly. And then we can help with, obviously, with the design portion, facilitate the, the state requirements for a building code. But you can look at it from, like, an accreditation standpoint. I'm very familiar with licensing process and a lot of times you all don't even deal with the license you deal with the architectural side right the licensing based on state to state can be very different and they have different processes and different requirements so just helping get through that and then helping them navigate through getting the, the whole medicare enrollment process done so that they can get their accreditation a lot of the health plans require the facilities to be accredited right they don't know what specific piece of equipment the owner is going to need. They just have a list of equipment. Someone has to direct them as right. to exactly what model and type of item needs to be purchased. Right. And, um, and I can work, I can be that person. That's fantastic. And then I also see you helping out just on a peer review process over some of our projects. I think it would be beneficial to all of us to sit down with you at a period where we have a layout, we have some understanding and have you come, you know, give us some advice on, yeah. you know, yeah. you can talk about flow and throughput and things like that. It's sort of like meeting with the user group, but 
without the oversight of the user group, right? So we're right. sort of pre-prepping to go in to talk to the user groups. And, right. and you can give us a lot of uh, things to say, things to bring up, and some important points to make during that conversation. So yes, I'm definitely going to start kind of bugging you a little <laughs> that's bit fine. more now. <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> Kelly, it was awesome talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> this was fun. See ya. Thanks again. This has been E4H Speaks with Chris Nail. 